I'm really excited to share this next episode with you. We're speaking to my friend, Jaren Lockard. She is a fashion designer, she's an activist, and a true trailblazer. Thank you for joining, and welcome to What Do You Believe? Jaren Lockard, how are you? I'm good. So great to see your face. So great to see your face. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to chat. Anytime. Yeah. So I always start the conversation with the question, what do you believe? Ah, so many things. (laughs) How much time do we have? Um, I think, you know, in thinking about this, if there's like a big thing, I think that no problem is unsolvable is uh, the the biggest thing that I think. Mm. So what made you come up with, or what do you, what, what examples in your life could you tell us about having a problem solving it and saying, God, I didn't think I could do that, but I did. Yeah. I mean, I think it's for me, like I believe it personally and as a collective sort of on the planet, there's just so much cause and effect. And um, I do, I mean, I when I grew up, I was good at math and I think a lot of it comes back to like thinking about systems and incremental efforts. Um, and I mean, everything, like, I think a lot of times for me, it's the small things from, you know, just doing something different that's super small. And you look back and you think, God, I, how did I do that the same way for 10 years? And then today is the day that I had enough information to make the change, be that how you organize your closet or who's in your life. Um, and then I think on a bigger scale, it's about collecting information and paying attention and then, and really asking questions, right. Versus, you know, seeing how something happens. And I think, um, maybe it's being American, but there's a lot of just assumption about why something has happened. And when you, when you believe no problem is unsolvable, you can sort of break it down. So you start to ask questions um, and analyze things. So, I mean, I would say everything from starting a company to every job I've ever had to driving in Paris, you know, I think it's it's funny. I was on a, on a, a call the other day and we were talking about something and I said, you know, I have accomplished enough and, and I, I was going to Paris and I had a car with the apartment that I was there with. And it was like a fancy, expensive Audi sports car. And I was like, that's going to be crazy to drive it in Paris. And I just remember saying to myself, there are people in this country who, who have less information, who are less capable and they do it every day. So get out of your own way. And I think that would be an example of that. Like, you know, that's sort of those moments where you hit fear. Like I can't go into that party or I can't get that job or, and especially as a creative person, there's constantly, you know, just the, there's just no reference point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, fear. I mean, when you say fear, there's a lot of fear right now, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is I'm exercising. Every problem is solvable a lot right now. Yeah. Yeah. So every day, every day. So take me through that day, you know, a day of yours where you're sort of, when you started your company, Kanaba, um, I, you know, a sustainable fashion brand, which we're going to get into, and I want to hear more about it. Um, but, you know, when you're, when you're an entrepreneur, you're up against so many problems every single day, so many issues that you have to solve. How do you solve, is it something you solve intuitively or do you solve it? What's your process in that? I think, so my process has evolved a little bit during the last six months. Um, I think I would go head first at a problem before, um, much more proactively. And then I think I've, I've realized, you know, now that the whole world is on pause, that I was innately being put on pause for, for certain problems by the fact that there were other things going on. Um, and now I actually have learned to really practice patience and, and understand that you can't push something 
and I'm not that I necessarily tried to before, but I have a reflection on how much I benefited from the pauses that happened, which appeared to be patience when really they were just because I was so busy, every problem wasn't getting attention all the time. And so now I look back on that and I think, well, gosh, there's so much, I can actually see the path through to everything and why it's happened. And now I'm exercising that in a more proactive way versus in a a lucky way, you know, like that idea that like, oh, that was lucky. You know, I think a lot of the luck is the way the world sort of puts into order what you're paying attention to and how those things add up. Um, So I think for me now, I also am further along, you know, in my career and in my life, I'm doing this for the second time. So it's a very different thing. And, or the fifth time, if you actually count doing it with other people or doing it for J crew. Um, And so I think there's a lot of learning in that where like everything will work out. And I think the perspective of everything else that's going on in the world health wise ecologically with the planet and then also just within our country. I mean, this place is a hot mess right now. You know, I'm in California, so there's fires, there's the election, there's the discourse, there's COVID, you know, there's so many things that are bigger than any individual's life. Um, And you just can't, you can't become overwhelmed with trying to solve those problems. Because I think if you thought about those, you wouldn't solve any of the problems related to what I'm doing every day. Um, I would have to be working on that because those are the biggest problems in the world. Yeah. You have to just keep going, right? I mean, you can't get yeah. stuck in the mud with everything and let it drag you down because you have a company to, you know, get, you know, yeah, launch it's and self- get out there. And it's, it's, it's almost like you just have to shut everything off sometimes, right? Self, I call it self-management. So I do it in like spurts. I, I have, everything's a system. So I would say if you really want the answer to the question that you asked in a simple way, I have a lot of systems. So those systems are, everything from if I go on the news and there has been some huge, you know, alert, normally I would have done more tuning out before. Mm -hmm. Now I feel obligated if I get a CNN alert to look at it because goodness only knows what it is. Right. I don't feel an obligation to engage in it, but it's the same thing as, you know, a systems for feeding my dogs or doing the dishes. Those things can take over your life. Um, and professionally I've learned a lot of, you know, how to keep, uh, focus or space for me to do what I need to do, which allows everyone around me to do what they need to do. And that's something I've learned over decades, which is crucial. You just have to know yourself well enough to know that you're not, and to be willing to admit it as well. I think part of that, you know, part of solving problems is saying, you know what, I'm not going to try to solve this problem. I've been doing that lately where I'm like, let's stop pushing this. It's not going to happen. Let's pivot and ask ourselves different questions. That would be one of the other biggest learning things. Listen, that, but that's a great CEO point, you know, as a, as someone who is a founder of your company and CEO of your company that you have to know when to kind of stop. You have to sort of know when it's, that's being a great manager, isn't it? I mean, let's hope. I don't know. We'll call it good manager. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I find it some, it can be traumatizing to people, but I think if you take the responsibility for it, um, it's good. It does provide guidance. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, listen, I think it's all about making decisions, right? I mean, that's life. Life is about making decisions. And when you're a CEO of a company, you have to make decisions. And there are sometimes very difficult decisions, right? And not easy. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's bad decisions or hard decisions um, often. I think we've gotten into a place with Kanava in the way that it is today and the size that it is that we're, we're in front of some of that. I mean, it's part of why I created it so that the systems weren't reacting, they were proacting so that we know who we are and we know what we're talking about. So if it's a consumer who doesn't understand or 
a partner who doesn't understand, we have a DNA and a vocabulary to stand on that like is that of a more mature human. So that we we just know, you know, it's a it's a great, we don't have to be right and we, we're not operating out of fear, but it does require more engagement and it does require problem solving in a different way. Um, but I'm hoping that's part of why I created it is so that we didn't have to have those hard conversations as much. So that we were having, we were sort of dealing with reality from the start. Like reality is not everyone's gonna love us. Reality is bad things are gonna happen. Reality is stuff's gonna be late, stuff's gonna get lost. Whatever the small problems are of a brand. Reality is we could make a mistake. We could partner with someone that we shouldn't. I, you know, I don't know and we, do, we have a full set of due diligence, but if we do, we have an answer for that because we have a system. So I think for me, a lot of it is about systems, about stepping back. And the, I think it's also how I design, right? So some of it, it's a narrative process of emotional attachment and story, but then also it has to work. Hmm. And so it's like finding the way to marry those two things together. And my life is like that. So I've actually instituted in my day-to-day life because I like, I like that feeling. I like feeling like I'm walking around when serendipity can happen any minute and maybe life's a little bit of a movie and that is created, not, it doesn't just happen. So I think that's what we're trying to do with the company a little bit too, so that other people can have that moment as much as they possibly can when interacting with us. Truly organic engineered yeah like where the groundwork is laid and then you let it it's like a garden right it's yeah. like if you if you lay the groundwork yeah. anything's possible any problem is solvable right i mean i love the story on when we were chatting on the discovery call we had we had an epic discovery call it was like i i you know when i was looking through my notes I'm like, i want to be able to talk about so much and i you know there's so many great snippets in there you told a story about looking at a leaf and how this leaf inspired you to design something in your collection and something can you tell us about that because this is a great example of following your instinct and and it being a part of your system yeah i think so it's an interesting thing i'll go back we we share a mutual friend that i was in turkey with many years ago and i remember just taking a picture of something and talking about it and she was like it's so crazy you literally see the world in an entirely different way than i am i'm standing here and i'm not seeing the same thing so I think a lot of that is being raised by artists and um, also just the idea that things aren't what they have to be. Like, I just, I think it's maybe a bit of like surrealism mm-hmm. and I'm not a big surrealist, but I was in my backyard and I'm not here. I haven't been here a ton since I bought the house and the eucalyptus tree, there were some leaves that had fallen and they were this beautiful pink color. And so I picked them up and I brought them down to the studio and we're, we're, we were using them as sort of a basis for color. And I think part of that also is like, we weren't trying to contrive seasons. We're not trying to be a part of the fashion system. We're not on that schedule. And we are really focused on our impact on the planet. So while we're not an earthy, crunchy, sustainable brand, there is this tie between things. We are seeing the systems relate to each other. So I think in that case, it was just interesting. Part of it was just being present. I was here and I saw something that I had never seen when it had happened at my house before, I guess. Mm. And I was thinking about color in a different way. And so for us, as we work, we're not trying to activate something because of a deadline. We're trying to, I I try to work in two ways. One, we do that because obviously we need to stay in business and there needs to be a flow, but separately, anything is possible at any time. Um, And I think it really does come back to like a New York minute. You know, I I grew up going to the city and that is true. That is not a, a misnomer, that, that idea that you can turn a corner and your whole life can change. And so I think that's a lot of what we're talking about is, I had the luck of going to New York when I was a kid when the world wasn't connected and I would see stuff change massively in a way that was different than the rest of this country. 
completely another country when I was a kid. Just like worldly, global, integrated, exciting in a way that no other part of this country was. And we weren't connected, so it wasn't being shared except for through media. Um, And so I think that's part of it, is like thinking about that mindset, but then applying it to being captive in your own house allows me to see that leaf differently. And because I already have a purpose for where it goes and a way for it to become a part of something, that's where when you say this is like the brand has got all of this stuff built in, it is actually authentic because we don't have to make it up because we're collecting things along the way and we're asking really critical questions about how you live on this planet, how your daily life is, how you feel when you're living your life. And that's a, those are big questions. Like that's an unending pool, right? We don't have to decide that we're going to be inspired by X this week. You know, I think we're, we're working on a new collection now and there's um some icons that are pre-columbian art from columbia which is the country we're producing in that i saw at a museum five years ago and had a 180 pictures of digested the whole thing learned a ton in that moment it was a two-hour period of time we're talking about prints and icons and i'm like wait i have this whole archive of stuff and so we pulled it out and then we learned more you know did you know that columbia was named for christopher columbus i didn't i didn't know that pre-columbian art was generally Central and South America based on before Columbus. Like, and because I was like, why is it called pre-Columbian art in Colombia? That makes no sense. It's because it's not, like it's Colombia. Right, right. Yeah, so I think that's the journey, right? Like, you know, that idea that makes me wonder like, why does the eucalyptus lurk turn pink? They're here all the time, they're green. They don't fall and they turn brown. Like, why are they turning pink? Is it the oils, you know? I think there's just a lot of keeping your eyes open. Absolutely. So how much of, so when you say you're, you're aware, you were there, you were just very, you know, conscious. Um, And you practice mindfulness, don't you? We we practice, right? So how much of that has been an influence in your life? And in terms of, I mean, I think as an only child, you really, you sort of learn how to practice it on your own anyways. You know, there's a lot of time spent not talking and sort of being very aware of your effect on things and being able to analyze things in a way that you don't when someone's poking you in the head or stealing your food like it just you you have you learn you don't learn a lot of stuff but you do learn more mindfulness as a young person um and i started practicing probably five years ago four years ago five four years ago and i'm not i'm not you know intense about it i spend a lot of time reflecting i try to meditate on a regular basis but i don't do it twice a day for 20 minutes you know i i, I hear charlie knowles in my head all the time the one who originally taught me how to meditate yeah. um and that eight that in eight minutes you're getting 80 percent of the benefit so like if my mind is wandering I, I was always you know i remember learning with him and him being like i know your mind's gonna wander and i'd be like why is everybody punishing themselves you know like he'd be like don't feel bad and it's like why would you do that um so i think as an only child who's been sort of spending a lot of time thinking for my whole life it led me to be able to embrace that process. And I use it as a tool. Yeah. I use it as, as a tool to catalyst. Um, and I, I would be honest, I meditated more before this whole thing happening mm-hmm. with the COVID because it's just such a flow now that I'm not finding this need and I can't tune stuff out. Like there's, you, as a human, you sort of have to be present right now, at least for me. Yeah. It's more stressful for me to try to tune something out and then to have to get hit with the wave yeah. I'm better off just staying in the water and riding the waves yeah. right now. And like laying on my back sometimes and floating and actively swimming sometimes, but staying in the water instead of stepping out of the water. No, oh, listen, I, I, I can understand and relate to that. I was listening to another uh, podcast this morning and the woman on the podcast was saying that, sorry, I don't remember the podcast. I would shout it out. 
I'll tag it later. <laughs> but she was saying that she normally is a big yoga, you know, practitioner and she just hasn't been able to do it during COVID. And because the weight of this has just been so heavy and I can understand. And I think that's a bit about what you were saying. It's just, you think that this is exactly when you're going to start meditating like crazy and doing yoga, but in actuality, you kind of can't because it's just, if you're a if you're a sentient being, if you're very sensitive being, it's just a tough time to do that because heavy. And the more you sit with yourself, you feel it more yeah I've found that I just have to keep the forward motion more you know like I think it's important that in order to truly tackle the opportunity that's being presented to us as a brand that is conscious and engaged and as a human who's not you know who's at their house with this opportunity or something they'd already created and the ability to continue it I feel an obligation to keep that forward motion going as well as you know there's a lot more maintenance to your life because you're in your house all the time And then you've got these bigger issues that are at hand. And I think, you know, we have some tools with what we're creating that can allow us to engage in those bigger issues and to find our place to try to feel like we're doing as much as we can. And, and I do think part of that is just that's, that's an ecosystem that just keeps moving. Right. And when you pull yourself out of it, it stops. And I've found, I I looked back at, because we've had some chapters of success and I've catalysted them, you know, it's not arrogance. It's just, that's the reality. Like me being present and being focused on that without being exhausted. So it's like, you've got to find that balance, but I don't have to meditate to not be exhausted. I have to sleep. Sleep is the number one thing. If I don't sleep, I'm a disaster. And I don't have to sleep a ton, but I have to sleep. Like, you know, if the dogs wake up in the middle of the night or three weeks ago, someone hit a tree, like flew off Mulholland and a car went into a tree and there were sirens in the middle of the night. I'm like a drunk, I'm like, yeah, she's fine. She was drunk, so she's fine. And everybody in the house was fine, it hit a tree. but I find the next day I feel like I'm, I have the worst hangover I've ever had in my life. Right. And it's affected me more during COVID, I think, because you're just not on that. You know, you have to be present for your life. You have to be present for everything that's going on, which requires a more even energy. So I think I haven't been putting myself in too deep or pulling myself out too deep. It's been about this sort of consistency because right. I think that's important. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of successes in your new venture, uh, let's mm-hmm. talk about panties. <laughs> panties, yes. You did such an amazing call out on your panties with Fauci and Cuomo. I mean, talk to us about, tell us about that because that was really something and, you know, it was brilliant. Well, we, um, you know, we launched right before COVID lockdown and, you know, I come from a marketing and product background and I just felt like it was inappropriate for us to be talking just about products. I also just as a human wasn't even capable of formulating the marketing strategy for that. And, you know, we went through a couple of different things where we, we catalysted some impact, where we gave back to the LA Food Bank, and we sort of started to create a system of support for our community. And then I asked myself the question of, like, how, does, how do we fit into this equation? How do we fit into this conversation? And I have a lot of friends in New York. It's my second home. And quite frankly, I didn't even know who Andrew Cuomo was, really, before this. I mean, obviously, I know, like, his father and a little bit, but I wasn't paying attention civically minded, even though I was living in New York. And I think for, for me, it was, we looked at Gavin Newsom, um, Fauci, and Cuomo because they were the voices that we were listening to in the beginning. I was watching CNN and I never watched the news on real time. Um, all, everyone I know was because we were like tuned in to try to find out what was happening in our country. And he was just this voice of like inspiration and clarity. And I felt like, you know, one of the tenets of the brand is the idea of product is entertainment. And you know, really the brand is a media company that happens to make product and that is trying to create a community. 
around how are you spending your time. So I think there was a little bit of everyone had joy when they were talking about him, you know, like there was pride and joy. And then Fauci, like, I didn't know who Fauci was. And I think it comes across as a political statement, but I don't even know what party Fauci, Fauci's a part of. Like, mm. I don't know. And Gavin Newsom happens to be our our governor. And so we did Cuomo first as a test and it was crazy and it hit the, you know, sort of caught the zeitgeist. We definitely got a lot of hate mail from right wing um, sort of fascists and stuff. Mm. And it was an, oh gosh, yeah. Cause we, it got picked up by major news. I mean, it was like, it was on Fox. It was on the Drudge Report, Rush Limbaugh's office called um you know i think it was just it, we hit a zeitgeist of what people were thinking about and we were giving them something else to talk about and we were celebrating people that were not normally the people you would put on a t-shirt you know and we happened to sell underwear so it felt like cheeky and it really does come mainly from the sort of like complete fever for fomo and then it was like what about you know your mayor and what about kamala harris and what about you know this was months ago this was in uh you know may and june um, so yesterday we released the Kamala Harris ones and, and the new edition of Cuomo, they've sold out three times already. This is the fourth edition of the Cuomo ones. And as we move forward, we, we sort of thought about that idea of those, you know, we have good trouble that's coming. Um, and cause it's cheeky, like obviously good trouble. There's a lot of things that sort of have a double-edged sword. Um, and it's, you know, we saw these gift messages that were amazing. Husbands giving them to wives, friends giving them to friends, people giving them from, you know, people who'd moved out of New York friends sending them to them so they could feel like they were at home. And so there was a real sense of community around this idea. Plus we were giving back. So we had a matching system where we were giving product that isn't that same product to healthcare workers on the front lines in New York and California, mm -hmm. because we have a product that's meant to make you feel better at home. So we thought, you know, everybody's working on the food problem and everybody's giving them products at this point, not everybody, but like they've got a lot of people working on that. And what about giving them something that has nothing to do with what they're doing so that when they come home, they have a moment of solace. So it was this idea also from a brand perspective of trying to create circles and systems where we have a product that's ethically made, it's recyclable, it's sustainable, it's designed product that costs what it should. We're adding this narrative to it. And then we're also adding an impact component on top of 1% for the planet and you know prepping for a B Corp and all the other stuff that we're already doing, recycled and biodegradable bags and carbon offsets. And that's just what brands should be today. Like that's, yeah. what they should be so yeah so we i think it was a an interesting thing covid shut down fast-tracked our ability to talk about impact by years wow we we would have had to fight there wouldn't have been as much acceptance it, you know and i wanted it to be more than just we're donating a percentage i wanted it to be something that was more circular so yeah wow what were what were some of the aha moments for you when you were creating this brand i mean what kind of got you because you your your first brand jaron ford yep um was sort of a similar not similar i mean you 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 know talked with started the same started the same so yeah. what was what was like your aha moment with canava in terms of what was like the absolute inspiration and what were your you know in terms of a sustainable product what were the absolutes for you i mean you absolutely mm -hmm. like when i say what were the absolutes you had to make a sustainable. Like, what are the guardrails? Yeah. You just said, you said every brand should be, and you're right. Absolutely. Well, because if you can make those choices, why don't you? Like, yes. It makes no sense not to. So I think with my first brand, this wasn't possible, but we were solving a similar lifestyle problem. I wanted fashion that I could, that was approachable price point. That was, and the, 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 sorry, the motto at Jaron Ford was, everyone's life who touches this product should be better. And that was decades ago, you know, like or whatever, a decade and a half ago, a decade ago, two, two decades ago. 
Um, and that wasn't quite as active as what this is, you know, sort of tangibly measuring it, but like that was part of the ethos of how we dealt with the people that we were dealing with, whether that was vendors or consumers. And that is definitely all embedded in this brand. I had gotten out of fashion. I was uninterested in the cycle and the system and the machine that runs it um, in the consumptive nature of it in the lack of care for the consumers or the supply chain. And in consulting with other businesses, wellness and beauty, when I worked at West Elm or when I was working with 20th Century Fox and talking about like, you've got a captive audience, can we provide them better product? I think incrementally the idea of what is a sustainable brand started to develop, develop more. And there were people, you know, instead of it just being like, we're using organic cotton as an eco component, it became more about creating systems. And when I stepped back, I got um, done with my job at J. Crew, which was basically doing the same thing, which is creating a brand experience out of the efficient use of existing resources to fill a hole in the marketplace. And that is what I do. That is what I've been doing for 20 years, right? Um, I think the reason, and this I would say wasn't an aha moment that happened up front, but this has happened as I've started to talk to people about investment and stuff. Um, when somebody said, why are you doing this instead of doing something else? And our reply was, this is where I can make the biggest difference. So as a person who has, this as their expertise and their domain expertise, who has marketing combined with fashion, who has the information from traveling the world and seeing truly the reality versus the, the eco washing or the ethical washing or whatever it is. And there's plenty of people doing amazing stuff. I wanted the same brand experience that I would have with something else. I wanted a parody experience where I felt great but I wanted it to be good for the planet. And that was something that wasn't, it's not widely used. I mean, like Stella McCartney is amazing, but that's high fashion. Like it's not accessible. Um, and she's Stella McCartney. There's only so many children of Paul McCartney, who's one of the Beatles, wow. um, who happens to be a fashion designer. Right. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think we've, we've since come to this idea, like the guy who founded Beyond Meat is doing it with, with, that, with food, you know? And I think he's doing it in a similar way to the way we're doing it, where there's a big problem. And for me, it was obviously climate change. Um, but also just the consumptive nature. It's like the, the collective climate ethical challenges. And I sat down and I thought, you know, if I don't do this now, I'm not going to do it. And I wanted a platform. I wanted to be able to talk about things like Cuomo and Fauci without having it be restrained by the system. I wanted it to be seasonless and, and fashion cycleless. And I wanted to be able to have it be real enough and good enough that it survived and thrived without having to play the game. Not that we won't. I mean, I think the whole idea is that we're using existing resources. We understand the existing systems and we're willing to leverage all of it. Like there's nothing, we're not leaving anything off the table, but as the through thread, let's create a product that's as good as it would be for a price that it should be. That just help, happens to also be good for the planet because of decisions we've made. And when you say like, what are the must haves? I think the must haves are, you know, our principles are education, empowerment and community, right? And the, the education component for us is we're not using organic cotton. And there's reasons for that. And yes, organic cotton is great, but like we couldn't do that as our, as our launch product. Our minimum viable product could not include that, but it could include a thousand other things that are on our website. And we would have had to give those up to have organic cotton or the product would have to cost twice as much as it does. But what we can do is if we succeed is I can go to the government of Colombia, who's active and engaged and start talking to them about their farmers and their cotton industry and whether, they, whether organic makes a difference or whether because they don't have actively GMO saturating their community, it isn't something that is not actually already sort of happening. You know, I think there may be a lot of times what we found, and this would be the education component, is that there are so many people working all over the world in ways that are ethical and sustainable, but they're not certified. They're not like, they don't have the badge. Um, and I think you have to show up to meet those people. So we, we go and meet everybody. But that's also 
authentically how you create marketing that ties people to it. I mean, it's, it's a win-win. You know, I'm all about efficiency and, and systems. I think that's a big theme. Um, but yeah, I think for us, the non-negotiable was that we communicate why it isn't perfect and that we engage consumers in it. And we do things that are smart. You know, I think we like to leave room open to be clever. And I think there's a lot of, when you're clever, and if we're providing a parity product at a great price that also happens to be sustainable and ethical and we're clever, that's when we're going to get people to change their behavior on their own. They're going to actively do it themselves. They're not going to look to us to preach to them. Like I didn't want that to be the brand. I wanted you to be surprised. Um, unless you're already looking for those attributes in the brand, I wanted you to be like, wow, I can't believe this costs this much. Or wow, I can't believe, oh, that, that's cool. This is also vegan. Oh, this is also carbon neutral. Oh, cool. Yeah. You know, like it doesn't have to be for you to want it. And I think that's the biggest thing about meeting people where they are. And I think that's emotionally and physically. So like, how are you selling? What's your distribution channel? But also what do humans want? Cause in times like this, I mean, I think one of the things that was posted to me a long time ago was when I was in Southeast Asia for a few months, someone very close to me had sent me a note. I think it was a business of fashion article about how America is not necessarily the problem with sustainability. It's going to be Southeast Asia. And I, I was in Bali and I remember just looking up and thinking, and I'm not going to fault that mother who's never been able to buy her kid a pair of jeans for buying a $5 pair of jeans. You can't. Like, she's just starting to hope to thrive. She's not thriving. She's hoping to thrive. She has hope. I'm not going to shame her. It's my job to provide a system that gives her a product where she gets to have that same experience and make a good choice for the planet versus a bad one. Oh, wow. That's powerful. Yeah. Wow. Because we, are the, we aren't the problem now in certain ways. There's other people, but we've emulated the behavior of success through middle class. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it, I like, it's what the, what the people who are working on food is. I mean, food, housing, and clothing are the three most primary. And if you count water within food, which they tend to in this, the reports, the most important um, things for humans are the, the, the things you can't live without. And so while fashion isn't that, I think if you think about the problem that way, you can start to think really creatively about how we're solving it. And I think the people who are working on replacing meat products because of their impact environmentally, not even humanely, um, are doing that. And their goal is like for you to not know what you're eating when you're eating it. And I've been having some of those other investor meetings is, you know, when they're like, you know, that comparison is really weird to say you're the beyond meat of fashion. Um, but it's, okay, well, I want you to have a hamburger test and not know which one it is. I want you to see the product and not care. Right. Right. Like, I want you to feel the same way. I want you to feel the same way you feel about Gucci or Yves Saint Laurent or Stella McCartney or right. Apple or Levi's. Then I want you to feel the way you feel about a garden burger. Like, that's not my goal. Right. What about the fashion business that kind of made you stand up and say, this is, this is just, this, this is wrong. I mean, talk to me about that in terms of what you saw and, you know, you worked in the business for so long. Did it, did it, it clearly made an impression and an imprint on you in terms of sustainability? I would say, you know, a lot of it is um, traveling so much and we never encountered it. So like when we worked in our factories or my first company, it's a silk factory in China, there were dormitories and stuff, but it was, it was a specific entity. We were in the walls with them. There was no, it wasn't, we were working in an environment that didn't involve. We never worked in Bangladesh. We never worked in any of those places. And then by the time I was, you know, working for a giant company, even when we did a big collaboration with um, Urban Outfitters, I could control where that went. You know, it wasn't perfect by any means. And I'm not going to say that they were like, you know, 
giving massages and being treated perfectly and that every piece of dye product that went into our product wasn't great, but I could, I knew tangibly how it was happening. And I don't think I actually even understood the larger waste problem. I think for me, the reason that it drew me to it is how we live. My life just changed. You know, I mean, I moved into my house. You have three trash cans in Los Angeles. Um, I would have a bunch of trash in my trash can. I'd have my green waste and then I have recycling. Well, like at some point it switched where there's very little trash and there's a ton of recycling and there's a ton of green waste. And, and I don't remember changing my behavior. I just was given more information. And so I think for me, it was like, there's just a clear way you should be living. And there's no debate over, I don't even care if climate change isn't real. Why not change your behavior just because it's better? Like, and I think that for me was this idea of normalizing the behavior. So it wasn't so much a reaction to the humanity. It was more the idea of hope that if you give people a better choice, they make it. And I think that's just sort of the, always the way that I think. And that goes with any problem is solvable, right? Like you're sort of looking at the glasses half full. Um, and I'm not a Pollyanna by any means, like I'll break down the reality for you, but never with a, a, a judgment to it, with an idea that like, well, if you give someone the same thing for better, then they'll make that choice. Like, yeah, I don't think that that's like just human nature. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, going to the idea in America, education is our biggest problem and, and places like Bangladesh, it's different things. And so the idea about, God, I don't remember how many years ago it was, but I, a woman who's a, a social entrepreneur, who has a company called Yossi, which was a social platform. I had been connected to her through my advertising world and was working with them. And I had breakfast with her one time where I was talking about how really interestingly, like you don't know this, but a garment going to Saks may end up on three separate hangers before it gets there. And I was telling her about it. And I was like, it's so crazy that like, why isn't the hanger just something you want in your closet? Cause I've also got another hanger in my closet. Like it just seems so crazy. And then on top of that, it's likely not designed by somebody from MIT. It's designed by somebody within another industry and why isn't there somebody in India recycling plastic and making it into hangers that you want in your house? Like sort of the idea of systems and looking at the way that the ecosystem is related to each other. And that was a really long time ago. And I was on a panel with Amber Valletta, who's a big eco activist, and Scott, who was at Adune, and they were actively like engaged in it. And I was still doing exactly what I am now, which is doing the, living a more normal life, but just with those principles built in. Um, and instead of actively trying to, to catalyst that change. And I think I'm hoping that now the world has caught up to where there's so many resources and the work that Patagonia or Eileen Fisher and other industries have done have allowed for a basis that means I can create a model that anyone can emulate, that you don't have to be Amber Valletta or Scott or Eve, Yvonne from Patagonia. You can be someone who just wants to be in fashion and you can make good choices. And so I think for me, it comes from my childhood and just, you know, being aware of living in California and traveling so much, you know, just really seeing the impact of a beautiful place with trash everywhere, you know, beaches with trash. Uh, you, you ask questions about where it comes from. You know, it's not as whitewashed as here where you sort of, there's enough industry to take things away. Mm, wow. Oof, wow. That's, that's uh, thank you for sharing that. In terms of the fashion business for those listeners who are eager to break into the fashion business. Yes. Fashion glamorous. Gla- <laughs> right. Not so much. Sorry, that was a smart ass remark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it can be from time to time. I think less and less every day. Yes. 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 What, uh, any advice for, for those who are interested in breaking in? Yeah. I mean, it's so funny. I've given a few talks at colleges, like even Harvard Business School, and the opening line is always math. Everything is math, right? So designing is geometry, running a business is algebra and calculus. Um, And then if you want to step into strategy 
and logic, those are also math byproducts. So I'd say as much as you want to be an artist, if you don't have those skills, find someone who does, because it is all math. You know, there's, there's systems, there's patterns. Um, there's, whether that's how, what the yield is for a garment or how the shoulder fits into the seam, it's all math. Like you can add your layer to it, but if you don't foundationally accept that everything is math, you will not succeed in fashion, especially as an independent designer. And I would say, you know, anytime you go work for a big company, even if it's not what you want to do forever, keep your eyes open and learn as much as you can and never spend your time hating the man. Spend your time figuring out how to solve the problem. Um, those are two things, I think, depending on where you're coming at from it, whether you're like an artist who wants to sit in your LTA, and I can't even say that word, um, and make things that are beautiful like art, or you're somebody who wants to go work in anthropology. Mm. I think there's there's problems with both of those that that can hook you. And I think that's where you, you start is one of those places generally. Um, and I would say, you know, it's hard. It's a hard business. There's a lot of things that um, aren't what you think they're going to be. You know, that like, I think that asking why, you know, sitting on the beach and why is there plastic is the same thing as like, well, that beautiful show just happened in that thing. But especially now you can sort of trace it, you know, you can sort of fact trace it through social media and stuff. And really, um, pay attention and listen. There's so much information out there. Like join business of fashion, read women's wear daily, um, follow the wall street journal off duty, follow the New York times and T magazine, find out who those people are. Look at their bylines, look at their social, look at the lives they're living and actually start to understand, you know, models and agents and the whole system that goes into the business. Because I think otherwise you're, you're making a life choice without a lot of information about what really goes into what you're doing. Mm. Oh, that's great advice. Great advice. Wow. Um, any other advice in terms of just getting into the workforce? I mean, we have a yeah. lot of listeners who are young and, and in, you know, in a, in a difficult situation trying, you know, with COVID to get their first job. I can't even imagine. Yeah. I mean, I remember employing um, the, the generation that there was a, a specific year where it just switched where having your college degree didn't matter as much as it used to. And that was really hard to watch. And some of my favorite longtime employees who've been in multiple places with me, I watched them and their friends struggle in a way that we just didn't. I just, yeah. we didn't struggle that way. We didn't, we yeah. didn't assume, we assumed that a college degree or even though I never got one, I actually never finished any of them, um, starting companies and whatever, but it, they just, it wasn't a guarantee anymore. So I think, you know, showing up and being yourself, there's an example of a person who worked with me who was an intern who got a job. I didn't hire her. She ended up working with me until J. Crew all the way through. She isn't a part of this new endeavor, but um, she came in and she was just somebody who didn't make it our problem. You know, we were doing a show in New York and she was an intern and she was like, I want to go to New York. And I was like, well, if you can get yourself there and we'll, you know, pay your expenses while you're there. Absolutely. And she just didn't make things our problem. Like she she realized the opportunity she had. She was being invited into rooms that would have taken her decades to get there. And I have to say, like, well, definitely there's been downsides to that. She made the opportunity for herself. She showed up. She was present. She didn't get in her own way. Even if she was getting in her own way off to the side, we didn't know about it because we were busy working on something. And she ended up getting an insanely cross-pollinated, cross-disciplinary um, sense of uh, experience from it. I mean, she has people she can call on. And they will answer her phone call because of how she dealt with them when she was with us, you know, because she was present. And I would say being present is the biggest thing and being realistic, knowing that you have to work. Sorry, it's, it's an industry that is hard work, advertising, marketing, fashion, media. They are not vanity industries as much as they look like they are. And, you know, don't step outside your own ethical boundaries and don't work harder than you want to. But 
I think you need a true north of like understanding that either you're there for the moment to learn what you need to learn or you're working towards a larger goal and taking steps towards it. You know, I, I remember in advertising when I worked at Shy Day and I was producing and I just remember saying to myself, you're going to learn what you can do when you only focus on one thing, because that situation and that company at that time, we were relaunching Apple and working on Levi's and Taco Bell. There was no room. Like for three months, I had to not care about my personal life. I had to not feel sad because I didn't get to go to dinner with my friends. But you know what I got was like lifelong relationships and knowledge for me about what I could do if I focused on one thing. And that was super powerful. And I had to have a conversation with myself about it. So I'd say self-management is actually the number one thing. So if you want to work at a specific company, don't let no stop you. Ask more questions because if they don't want you, then maybe you don't want them or maybe you don't understand who they are or maybe they don't understand who you are. So if you want to be in marketing and they don't understand who you are and they're not hiring you, then you need to refine your message. I mean, I deal with that all the time. Like, are you saying what you think you're saying? Are someone hearing what you think you're saying? Um, long-winded but there's your answer no no, this is no this it's great it's great it's great advice I mean I I think about when I was younger you know when I was in my early 20s looking for a gig I I uh did a lot of temping yeah now you know this is probably not even possible at this point during COVID I think it's called freelance now yeah freelance but I did a lot of that because I wasn't sure if it wanted if I wanted to be in advertising publishing fashion. I kind of didn't know where I wanted to be. So I thought, well, why don't I just go and temp in different companies and see what yep. fits? Um, and I, th- I think that, you know, much to what you're saying, it's like, you just have to like get in the room somehow, you know, you just yep. have to get in the room and be as, you know, gung ho and positive as you possibly can be. Um, and, and then, you know, take it from there. But, um, I, I do feel for, for this generation coming up, um, looking for work and, and, and the last two generations, the last two, we, we were very lucky, very, very lucky. You know, we were the end of it. I mean, it's like, there's like five years after us that were in the same world. And then it wasn't even just technology because smartphones didn't happen for another 10 years. I think it's just, there's a certain amount of people on the planet. Our yeah. economy's in a certain stage. Right. Countries, you know, I don't know. There's all kinds of factors, globalization, trade. Right. But at the same time, there, there has to be opportunity. You know, I think if there's you're, more opportunity, there's more opportunity in the tech sector. There's so, you know, big, big opportunities there. So I mean, so probably I'm, casting a wider net, right? Well, that's why I say like log into those things, watch those things. There's a, there's a company in fashion that's a consultancy that I randomly rabbit holed down to their YouTube the other day because I was looking at something else, doing a lot of research and just trying to educate myself about things I don't know or keep somehow engaged in the world and the business um, from afar. And there were things where it was really funny because this, these people are based in Europe and all they were doing was talking to Chinese companies. And I had a realization, the CEO of Lane Crawford came on and gave a talk and, and I was like, they're gonna have their best year they've ever had because Chinese consumers are captive. All of the rich Chinese consumers are not traveling and they're still buying stuff. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. And I was talking to another friend who's a pretty senior person in fashion. And I was like, isn't that crazy? And he was like, oh my God, I didn't think about that. And it was like, we're in, in the middle of it and we have tons of experience and we're still not thinking about it. So it's like your mind can be changed and that's an opportunity. So, and then I did weirdly a Skype with one of our advisors for the brand who's in Hong Kong. And I was like, it's so crazy because I can visualize being there. I've spent months and months and months in that part of the world. And I was like, it's so crazy because I can sort of transport myself and it makes what's happening here less insane. And it keeps me remembering that I've been thinking the rise of Asia is 
is the opportunity of the planet for five years now. You know, I mean, I remember being in Hong Kong and thinking, I know why the trade routes and the British having access to this and that the most powerful thing you can do as a human is if you speak Chinese, Mandarin Chinese, English, and Portuguese, because they're the largest speaking, they're the languages that are most spoken on the planet, mm. um, which is not going to happen for me because Portuguese and Mandarin are very hard, but just thinking like somebody young, like they need to learn another language. They just do go on. <clears throat> There's free places to do it with Duolingo, go to Rosetta Stone, learn another language. We'll make you a secret weapon for yeah. people who, I mean, I think Gen X, we had this secret weapon that we understood the past and the future. We grew up with technology in our lives, not as much as like a phone in our hands, but I grew up in the Silicon Valley. We had computers from as long as I can remember. I'm not afraid of it, but I also know how to use a dial phone and I understand how to, you know, replace my traveler's checks in Paris when there is no internet. <laughs> I mean, like whatever. And so a billionaire who was 20 and a billionaire who was 80 needed us because we understood both languages. And now I think that's about access to the world or deep understanding of something. So I think, you know, that's their own responsibility as any human. And if you, you have so much access now with knowledge and learning, um, and you can, do, you can do the temp job that you did without even having to do it really at this point. Like yeah. you can actually learn so much about an industry off of just by consuming right. media and information. So true. No, it's a, it's a great point. Great point. I hope everyone's listening to that. I would say stay curious. Curious, <laughs> and the, curious. And the, and the parents of the of the kids trying to find you. Yeah. Job. But yeah. I mean, the curio- curiosity is the number one thing that has aided me in my entire existence. Curiosity about why the leaf is a certain color. Curiosity about why the trash is on the beach. Curiosity about why the hangar, why there has to be four hangers. You know. Yeah. I think you have to remain curious, which means you have to be willing to. I get I get so excited when I learn something I don't know versus like oh my god I can't believe I didn't know that I can't imagine being like that mm. that must be hard <laughs> it's so much easier to be like that's a mate oh cool I didn't realize that Columbia was named after Christopher Columbus but I'm like I wonder if my Colombian friends know that you know what I mean like yeah. how do we not learn that we learned all about the conquering of the new America we're in California <laughs> like I don't know how we never learned that in fact never landed um, it's amazing. Yeah. And we learned about the Aztecs and the Mayans and the Incas and everybody, but like we never, we learned about how they decimated them, like how they stole all the gold, everything. But we never, like it's just hilarious that you don't, there's just certain things that like are actually sort of pivotal because every other country is named for a different reason and every name goes back to the history. I was on a Zoom today where they said, you know, would you put in your location and also go to this website and it'll give you the original tribe that was in your location. And so today, this morning, I learned that the Chumash used to own the land that my house is on now. Really? Wow. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Amazing. And that's like, I think you should always be willing to learn. And then it becomes yours. Like that's a present that the world is giving you. Like that's asset that you can then use, you know? So then I started thinking like, that's so crazy. I should look at all the tribes in California because we want to make a made in California product that's grown and fully finished here. And then like, maybe it actually, maybe there's foundations that are benefiting the benefit. Like it's just like that. Why not? Right. Oh my God. And that that could be your... That's your give back. Exactly. Like, and then it'll raise awareness around the idea. Awareness. Other people embrace it. Amazing. We also still exist as a company for profit, but for purpose. Um, And that's literally just off of something I'd never done before. I'd never considered that this, this particular land was Indian land. Wow. Native American tribal land, I guess I shouldn't call it Indian land. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. I, this is you're you're amazing you're always so, so are you? fascinating to talk fascinating to talk to Jaren. i just 
love and adore you. I mean, we, I love you too. we've known each other for a long time. Probably 20 years. Oh, so crazy. We're old. <laughs> no, we're not. We're just getting started. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> well, I love you. Thank you so much. I love you too. Much. Thank you. What Bye. a great conversation. Thank you. Bye.